Okay, so welcome to Redstone Church Elizabeth, and if this is your first time, I know we do have a couple of uh, visitors um, that are with us today, so we're just glad that you guys are here. So we're getting ready to jump in. One thing I wanted to mention, and Sam's going to mention this in his announcements, um, if he remembers, but uh, we got some baptisms that are coming up, which is really, really exciting. So Jesus has been just doing an amazing work, and we've got seven baptisms that are coming up, and they're going to be on Easter Easter Sunday, okay? So we're going to hit pause on 1 Peter, and I wasn't planning on doing that because I was planning on just continuing the way that we were going, and then I was like, no, you know what? There's a great opportunity to really make the gospel clear to people on that particular Sunday. So I'm even just telling you right now, this is a great time to invite people to come to Redstone Church. There's people that won't come any other time, but they'll show up on an Easter Sunday, so invite them, and they're going to hear the gospel, and then they're going to see the effects of the gospel as we baptize people. Is that not exciting? Yeah, so, and if you're like, you know what? I've actually never been baptized. I do believe, but I've not been baptized. You know, see your community group leader, see an elder, come see me, and we'll sit down and we'll talk about that. Okay? Y'all ready? Okay, so we're going to go to the Lord. And as we often do, we're stepping into a Sunday morning and there's like stuff swirling around in our heads and our hearts and it's just life is happening. So we want to pray that the Lord would just settle that and he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the word of God. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this congregation. Lord, I marvel at the work that you have done and continue to do at the Boys and Girls Club in Elizabethan, Tennessee, as Jesus, you fulfill what you promised that you would do, which is that you are going to build your church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who is not a part of that, that they would understand the glory of the gospel and the invitation to come. Lord, open up 1 Peter chapter 2 to us today. Lord, may I be clear with my communications and may what is of me in the flesh fall quickly to the ground and only what is of you remain. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So if you were here last week, and I hope that you were, Adam Stein Man, he killed it, didn't he? Can you say that? I mean, that's a good thing. He killed it. It means it was a good Sunday. Just so proud of him. And he was like, really, Jerry? You're giving me 11 verses? But he did a really good job with those 11 verses. Uh, so well done, Adam. I think he's probably away on a little mission trip with um, the well uh, this week. So once again, we saw the gospel on clear display. He gave us four truths. I'm going to remind us of these four truths, and that's going to be a catalyst to what we're going to talk about today. So he says, God is holy. That was in our passage. God is holy. Truth number two, we are now made holy through our belief in the gospel. He declares us to be holy, which is incredible. Uh, truth number three, the gospel causes and calls us into a holy relationship with God. The relationship that we have with God is itself separate and it's different. Um, and then truth number four, the gospel causes and calls us into holy relationship with each other. So we're going to continue where Adam left off last week. 
If you've got your Bibles, if you've got your phone, if you've got your little journal, or if you've got your eyes and want to jump up here, we're going to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we only have three verses today instead of 11, because Jerry can't handle 11 verses. He can only handle three, or you all would be here all day. Okay, you ready? This is the Word of God, breathed out by God for the church. Let's hear it. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn babes long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's our passage. We're entering into chapter 2, and right off the bat, we did this a few weeks ago, we see a so, or some versions have a therefore, and we've talked about this. When you see these connectors, these so's and these therefores, they're there for a reason because they're tying what was just previously said into what's getting ready to be said. We can't read 1 Peter or Ephesians or any other book in these, these pastoral letters or these epistles in the New Testament without looking at the full context of what was being said before and after. And the same thing here. Here are some reminders. This is what he has said in chapter 1. We are now, quote unquote, we are born again. We have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. The salvation that was once hidden and veiled has now been revealed, and it's been revealed to us. Because of this, we can now set our, borrowing from the, the words that are used, our hope on the grace that will come when Christ is revealed to us. Because the one who called us is holy, and because he lives within us, we are to be holy as well. You shall be holy for I am holy. We have been, and I love this word, we've been ransomed from futility by the blood of Christ. He has, here this church, he has purified our very souls. So yes, we've been born again. And then chapter one ends by reminding us that everything else will fade away but the gospel word planted to us will, it says, remain forever. That's what has been said. This is borrowing from the language of everything that Peter has said in chapter 4. And then he says, so, or therefore, because of all of these things being true, what I'm about to say is going to make sense to you. But without those, maybe it wouldn't make sense. So let's go back and let's see where he's leading us with this so or this therefore. Look at the passage again. I'm going to break it down into the three different verses. He says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. First note for us to recognize, he stresses this by saying all, 
three times in this one verse. All malice, all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, all slander, all of it. No more. It's got to go. It's not allowed for you as holy people anymore. That's who you were, but that's not who you are moving forward. You've been ransomed by Christ. And those behaviors are inconsistent with someone who's been transformed by the Holy Spirit of the living God and the continual presence of the Lord living within us. We're reading out of the ESV today as we normally do, but man, I love the CEV, the contemporary English version on this, because it sounds like something that my mom would say or my wife or I would say to our kids. Look at this, contemporary English version. Stop being hateful. Quit trying to fool people and start being sincere. Don't be jealous or say cruel things about others. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? Could you hear that coming from an authority in your life that cares about your heart? There's this story of Watchman Nee, and I've got it all written down, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Watchman Nee is an amazing pastor, and I remember about a decade ago, I bought like a bunch of these books. So this is one you might want to write down, and it's called The Normal Christian Life by Watchman Nee. It's really a walkthrough, I think it's like Romans 6 through 8, The Normal Christian Life and Watchman Nee. But there's this one uh, story that he tells in chapter 10 of The Normal Christian Life uh, of an individual that had come to faith. And he, he used to drink, but he drank a lot. So he would sit down with his meal and have a drink, but that drink would lead to multiple drinks. And he talks about this moment where he tried to go get a drink and he couldn't. And he was explaining to Watchman Nee, and in the best way that he could with his Chinese language, he said, I was no longer allowed to do it because a resident boss would not in, allow me to. Resident boss. He wasn't sure what was going on there, But resident boss, the indwelling Holy Spirit, said, you can't do that anymore. That's who you once were, but you can't do that anymore. Drunkenness is not allowed for someone who names the name of Christ. It's inconsistent with a holy God that is living within. Resident boss, I just love that. The Holy Spirit was showing him that there's a change that's taken place in your heart, but that change has to affect your behavior. If you're doing community Bible reading, we call it CBR. It's just where we're reading through the same passages together. This past week, you will notice we're in the book of Acts. And in Acts 20, uh, 26, 20, it said it this way. It says, repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with your repentance. Performing deeds in keeping with your repentance, meaning our behaviors are now to be holy and not unholy. For we were told just a few verses back that God is holy and we are likewise to be holy. And the actions listed as he's stepping into chapter 2 are anything but holy. These are gospel applications. If you're going back to Ephesians and our study in Ephesians, I know we hammer this over and over to the point that you probably roll your eyes when you hear it now. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 were your position in Christ. And then chapter 4 and 5 and part of 6 was your... Please say it. What was the next P? 
Practice, right? This was your practice. This is the application. Because of all of these things, this is how it affects you, husbands. This is how it affects you, wives. Children, this is how it affects you. Parents, this is how it affects you. Workers, this is how it affects you. Bosses, this is how it affects you. And it's taking all of these truths of the gospel and this holy God transforming our lives, giving us purpose, and there's an application that comes with it. This is the beginning of the application phase of 1 Peter. This is when he is going to say, because of all of these things that I've said, now let's get down to how it shall affect you on a daily basis. And he lists five of them. I'm going to walk through these with you. And then I'm going to give you a slide that will further explain what I'm getting ready to say. So the first one is malice. Kakia, kakia. Probably, Luke, you can uh, correct me later on these. Um, it's hateful feelings. It's wickedness. It's badness. Wicked actions, evil. Ever had true malice in your heart towards someone? It's a poison. That's the first word. The second word, deceit. Dolos. It's bait. It's a trap. It's to trick into. It's this cunning contrivance. You ever been deceived by anyone or have you ever deceived anyone? That's what we're talking about here. We all know this word, hypocrisy. Hypocrisies. Hypocrisy. It's the one that Jesus hammers over and over and over to the scribes and to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees. It's to pretend. It's pretense. It's play acting. It's playing the part. Acting like you are one thing when you're really not. And it's the one that everyone who's not in the church brings out probably more often than others. Saying this is why I don't go to church. Because the church is full of hypocrites. And that's what they're saying. I know these people. I know what you see on Sundays. But I work with them on Mondays. And I see them on Fridays, and they're not the same person. And he's saying that can't be. Envy, thronos, jealousy. It's ill will caused by jealousy. Ever been envious of someone's, I don't know, their looks, their possessions, the life that they have? Maybe their hair? You know, we all have. I'm envious of a few of you guys in here when I see your hair, right? Slander, catalia, it's evil report to speak evil of, it's evil speech toward. Ever had your reputation slandered by another individual? Or have you inadvertently or maybe purposefully ever slandered another individual? And you've heard the saying that like slander and gossip, it's like taking these feathers and it's on a windy day and it's taking all of the feathers and throwing them up in the, in the air and they just go every which way. And even when you realize what you've done, when you say, oh, what have I done? I'm so wrong. I should repent. You can't go find all of those feathers. They're already gone. The damage is done and that's the effect that slander and gossip can have on someone's life. So what I want to try to do is to show how each of these behaviors that Peter's putting on display right now, when he's saying, so because of this, don't do this anymore. 
I want to show how they flow from the heart and a lack of belief in the gospel. Okay, now this is small. If you want my PowerPoint, I can always email that to you, but I'm going to walk you through this. So here they are. You've got malice, hateful feelings and actions toward others. Well, what's your motivation there? Well, it's just self-centeredness. Self is on the throne. Do you see that? So if you go back and you trace it back to the heart, this is my life. And I want things a certain way, and this is where malice comes from. Deceit, dishonesty, and trickery. I want what I want, and I'll do what I have to do to get it. Again, who's on the throne there? Is it Jesus or is it self? Self still on the throne. Hypocrisy, pretending to be something that you're not. I want people to think more highly of me than what is there. Longing for the praise of who rather than the praise of God? Men. People, I want so badly to be recognized and to be seen a certain way by people. Envy, jealousy, desiring to have the attention, item, person, life that someone else has. Well, I'm just looking for things in this world to satisfy me. If I just had this, or if I just had that, life would be complete. And we search for these things to fill this void that can only be filled in the gospel. The gospel that brings forgiveness and identity and purpose and a relationship with the creator that actually created us. Nothing else will satisfy but that. Slander, speaking evil of another or speaking evil of others. I must expose them. I must lower them down a notch because in doing so, I'll elevate myself. My insecurity regarding my identity is at such a high level that it's easier for me to knock other people down than to become the person that I should become. our insecurities before coming to Christ and sometimes after coming to Christ because we forget the gospel and this is why Peter's reminding us that can be really intense and they can cause us to do really, really crazy things. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was borrowing from the book The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. Remember me mentioning that to you? And I gave you uh, four of these traps of the enemy, okay? That green's not gonna show up real well. But the first one was a, the performance lie. Satan says, if I do not perform at a certain level, I'll not have self-worth. Okay? And this is going to bring about deceit and hypocrisy. And it's going to bring about envy. The acceptance lie. Satan says that until we are accepted by certain people, we'll not have self-worth. So what is that going to cause? Deceit hypocrisy, envy, slander, whatever I have to do to get myself into a place where I'm accepted by others. The blame lie. Satan says that if we don't perform, we're not accepted, someone is to blame. It's, it's our parents. It's our teachers. It's our friends. It was our upbringing. And this brings about malice and it brings about slander. That's the heart condition that drives us to sin. And then the shame 
trap or the shame lie. Satan says that we are what we are and we cannot change. Again, what's that going to cause your heart to do? Malice, slander, hypocrisy, deceit, envy. This is what the enemy does. Revelation 12 says that he accuses even the brethren day and night. He's trying to trap us. He's trying to get us to forget the truths of the gospel. And this is why we must go back to the gospel over and over and see what Jesus has done and who we are because of what Jesus has done. And only then will our hearts change and our motivations change the way that we see this world, the way that we're not threatened by other people. We don't have to prove ourselves, our education, or anything else. Because of everything that we've covered since we started in chapter 1, because we're now a new creation and we're loved and we're pure and declared holy, in short, and hear me on this church, because of our belief in the gospel, our actions must be different. They must. If it's true that Christ not only saved us, but has come to live within us, and that God's desire is to conform us unto the image of his son, then we can't live and talk and walk as we did before we came to Christ. Doing so is inconsistent with the gospel message itself. Now, we're going to discuss in a few moments how we grow in our gospel understanding and how we mature so that our actions are different. But I want to stay here just for another moment and look at these same behaviors and look at how the gospel can change them. So here they are, the same ones, malice. Well, what does that look like when the gospel is applied and we believe the gospel? Well, it shows itself to be more of kindness than malice. It really is love. They'll know that you're Christians by your love. There's a kindness that's there. The renewed mind is this. In response to the gospel, my kindness reflects God's kindness shown to me through Christ. Do you see the gospel application there? Changes everything. Because of God's kindness, I can now be kind to others. And I don't have to deceive them or be malicious. Deceit. Deceit. How can the gospel change that? Well, he can turn that into honesty. Just to be an honest person. Pure. In response to the gospel, I no longer have to lie in order to get what I want, God is on the throne of my life now. To completely eradicate deceit. The gospel has the power to do that. Hypocrisy. Well, now I can actually be sincere, transparent, genuine. This is one of the values that we're striving for at Redstone Elizabeth. And to be a church where there's, a, there's an honesty, there's a transparency, there's a realness that's there before one another as we learn how to believe and apply the gospel in our lives. Because of the gospel, I'm a new creation. I'm not who I was. I don't have to be 
pretend to be someone else anymore. The world may look at me and not accept me and may not like what they see, but God has created you, church, individually, and me to look the way that we do. With the personality that we have. This is you. This is how he's wired you. The gospel allows us, once we believe it, to not have to try to be something so that other people will accept us because Christ has accepted us. Envy. I gotta have, gotta have, gotta have is now potentially because of the gospel replaced with contentment. Wow, what would that look like? I don't remember where the passage is. It just hit my head. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. and We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, let us be content with that. Again, I just quoted it, but I have no idea where it is. But it's somewhere in the New Testament. So start there. The gospel helps me to recognize more and more that I am, as Sam shared on week number one, I'm in exile. This is not my home. I don't need anything that this world has to offer anymore. I now find my heart desiring things that are eternal because nothing else seems to satisfy. The gospel application is amazing. Slander, what can that be replaced with? How about building each other up? Encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, church. Instead of slandering, how about just building people up? Because of what Christ has done, I can now be an encourager of hope, both to the lost and to my fellow brothers and sisters. So yes, the gospel changes everything. You can't jump into chapter 2, verse number 1, without understanding the gospel in chapter 1, or again, you had inadvertently jumped right into your to-do list. If I do these things, and if I don't act this way, then God's going to receive me. No, he receives you because of what Christ has done. We're all broken, broken people, fools on our own. We all need the gospel. We must have the gospel before our actions can change. And he says, but as he who called you is holy, so now be holy in all of your conduct. As your pastor, I cannot get this verse out of my head. It's plagued me in a really healthy way for the past month. All of my conduct is to be holy. I'm just thinking on that and chewing on that and praying through that. You know, what would it look like if we were so, had so much integrity before God and man that whether it be my bank account or my closets or my time or my money, just anything else, these are all open because I am doing my level-headed best to be holy in this world and to live in a way that brings honor and glory to God. It's a call to holy conduct to renew our minds by believing the gospel and what God himself says about who we are now in Christ and what our new purpose for living is. Okay, so we can't leave verse number one and move on to verse number two without asking a couple of pretty simple questions. If you'd like to fill in the blanks, 
This one's in your worship guide, and this is what you're going to talk about in community group this week. Okay? Question number one. I've got a 1A and a 1B here. Do I find myself, this is you, talking to the Lord, answering honestly, do I find myself consistently putting away all unholy conduct toward others? If there's malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, or slander, do I see them? Do I confess them? And do I repent of them quickly? This is what the Holy Spirit desires from each of us. And then 1B, and this is the deeper question. If not, if not, what am I, if you're filling in the blanks, what am I not believing about the gospel? You can trace it back to your, your heart and your disbelief of the truths of the gospel. So what am I not believing about what God says about me and who I am in Christ? And that's a great catalyst to verse number two. So let's continue. Verse number two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into your salvation. Peter's linking these two verses together for a reason, and it's a reason that we absolutely must pay attention to. Yes, we've been given new life. Yes, that life comes because of what Christ has done. Yes, he is holy and we should be holy as well. No, we should not act as unregenerate heathens who don't know the truth and who haven't been born again, which is why we must, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that we may grow up because of these truths in the word of God that we may grow up into our salvation. This is why we come on Sunday mornings. Kyler and I had a conversation with someone yesterday and part of the conversation was like, I just don't need to be at church. And I said, in a nice way, I'm, I know you don't mean to, but you're inadvertently saying things that are completely inconsistent with what the word of God says when the word tells us that we're not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together because it's for the church that Jesus has died. And the last thing that he said before he went to the cross was, oh, Father, help them to be one as we are one. We need each other. And when we come together on Sunday mornings, like right now, like in this moment, we're reading the word of God and our hearts and our minds are being reminded of gospel truths that we need to be reminded of because in the flesh, we'll be deceitful. There's malice that'll come out. There's slander that'll come out. That's the default of the flesh, which is why we need daily renewal. And that renewal comes from spiritual milk, which in the Amplified Version, King James, New King James, and some other translation is actually the word of God is how it's translated. 
In the same way that a baby needs milk often and can't be satisfied without it and can't grow without it and hungers for it and lets you know when they want it. Do we have any new moms? And Macy's smiling in the back. Any new moms and dads here? Right? Likewise, we are to have the same hunger for the word of God, knowing that we desperately need it, like oxygen, to be able to live. Now understand, side note, he's not saying that we are to remain infants. Not at all. If you're maybe confused there, go read Hebrews 5, where he says, a lot of you guys are infants. You should be teachers by now, and you're not. You continue to drink spiritual, you know, or you continue to drink milk when you should be eating solid food. He doesn't want us to remain infants, but he does want our hearts to continue to long for the word of God as an infant in the same way that we can't come to Christ unless we become like a child first with just broken innocence with our hands up in the air. Daddy, pick me up. Those things I pray will never leave us. That if we've been walking with Jesus for 40 years or four years, I pray that our humble response is, Daddy, pick me up. I need you. We need to long for the word of God because we can't grow without it. I've watched this past year um, an amazing thing happen within this church. Absolutely amazing. About a year ago, we had um, a one particular Sunday, and I, I don't know that I've ever felt as impressed to go off course and preach a sermon as I did on that particular Sunday. For you, those of you that were here, you'll know what I'm talking about. And we did one Sunday to talk about the weightiness and the struggle of sexual temptations. And we interviewed one of the guys in the church just openly. And he talked about some struggles that he had had from the age of 12. And after that, one person after another person after another person began to come forward, not here at church, but you say, hey, I've got this issue as well, or I've had these struggles, or I'm a female and I've had some issues in my past, or maybe I was abused as a child. But it was just amazing to watch what the Lord has done with that. And these individuals, they jump into a program that's called Regen. It's just a regeneration. It's going back to the gospel over and over and over. And they would come together every single week and they would be transparent and honest with one another. They would confess their sins one to another that there might be healing. And then they would go back to the pure spiritual milk of the word of God and say, well, what does the word of God say about you? What does the word of God say through the gospel about how we can now live. The enemy is saying this one thing, which is causing my behaviors to be as such, but how about if I no longer believe those lies anymore and I find, find out what Jesus says in his word, what would that do to my behavior? And it's just been fascinating to see one individual, and it's not just sexual temptation, it was just anything. It was eating disorders. It was just, you know, faulty thinking. It was just a struggle. Something has a stronghold on my life. It has control of my life. And I can't get rid of this control that it has on my life. I go to the gospel. Go to the word of God over and over and over and over. And we've seen people be set free. Not through the program. 
but through the gospel, the truths of the word of God. Maybe as a plug in, if anybody here says, yeah, I've got some strongholds like that in my own life as well. And we can help you with that. But it's not a magic pill. It's going to start with being honest about where you're at and then going back to the gospel, going back to the word of God on a regular basis, like newborn infants, to be longing for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into your salvation. And for those that have done this this, this year, I mean, there's a handful of you guys that are here. I'm just so proud of you. I'm just proud of you. It's a hard thing to be willing to step forward and to say, here's my sin, and you spit it out. How are they going to respond? How are they going to receive that? And to see this gospel community just come around you and love you, just the whole thing has been beautiful. So I'm proud of you, but I'm also proud of the church, the way that the church has responded as well. Question number two. Before I get off on my little rabbit trail, this is in your worship guide. Do I truly, answer honestly, not out loud, do I truly hunger for the word of God? Do I truly hunger for the word of God? We don't read the word of God as a checklist in the same way that we don't have a checklist of good behaviors and bad behaviors, a checklist is what you do to try to make yourself worthy to God. And that has been accomplished through the cross and because of what Jesus has done with his atonement and nothing else. No, instead we hunger for the word of God to learn about these truths, to be reminded of what he has done, to be reminded that we are exiles, to be reminded that we are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And our eternity is secure. And we are completely forgiven people. And we are accepted and we are loved as we are. And we no longer have to prove ourselves to anyone else. And once we recognize these gospel truths, It'll change your behavior. It'll change my behavior. It has to. It's the power of the living Christ within us that will no longer allow us to live unholy lives. We can't stay there. The conviction and the weightiness of that conviction will be so great that we'll repent. And then he can show us a better way because of the gospel. For some that are here or listening, it may be that you find that you're just spinning your wheels. You're not getting anywhere in your walk with the Lord. I encourage you to start right here with this question. Do you hunger for the word of God? And if you say, no, I really don't. Well, let's start right there. God, give me a hunger for your word. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start reading it and I pray that as I do so, that you'll give me a hunger for it. Sometimes the reading comes before the, the, the hunger. Sometimes I sing because I'm happy, and sometimes I'm happy because I sing. I don't know if that makes sense or not. 
But sometimes I begin to sing and then I find that there's joy in my heart because I'm reminded of things. Sometimes it takes me just fighting for time to get into the Word of God and say, God, remove the obstacles from my mind and help me because right now my mind is everyone else. Give me a hunger for your Word. Sometimes you start there and then you find a gold nugget in the Word of God. And you, you find that your heart begins to rejoice because you see a truth that you hadn't seen before or you're reminded of something that you already knew. First Timothy 4 says it this way. It says that you exercise yourself unto godliness. You exercise in the same way that you get up, you put on your running shoes, you stretch a little bit, and then you take off. It's the same thing here. We long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. We exercise unto it by being active in seeking it out. Uh, quick plug. Can I do that? Quick plug. Monday afternoons at 4 o'clock. You want some free coffee? Show up at 345, we'll give you free coffee. We'll go upstairs and we're going to open up the Word of God. We're going to be still for about 20 minutes. We're going to mark it up and then we're going to discuss it. Okay? You know who I'm talking to in this room? Every one of you. This is not for the super spiritual. This is for anyone who wants to see the Word of God come alive. It's a poor excuse that we have developed to show people that the word of God is living and active. And every single Monday, I walk away saying, that will be the best hour of my week. Because the word just comes alive. You're invited to that. To other people, you're like, I just need a kickstart. Okay, well, let's join, get you in a CBR group. Community Bible reading group. Right now we're reading in Genesis and we're reading in Acts and we just read the same passages every day. And then sometimes you're like, oh my gosh, did you see that? And you text it to the people that are in your group. It's simple, but there's accountability that's there. And it's a spurring one another on to have a love for the word of God. Okay, we're going to look at one more passage and then we're going to close. Our last passage for the day, 1 Peter one, uh, two, verse number three. Notice this first word that's there. I have these two words in red. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. There's an important qualifier for everything that Peter has said thus far, which is if indeed. For some, you may have heard these gospel truths before but not actually tasted them for yourself. You can't apply or live out Christianity if you haven't tasted it. You can be religious. You can keep lists, even though your heart is still rebellious against God. We can become really good at hypocrisy, right? But you can't change your heart if you haven't tasted these truths. It would be like describing how amazing an Auntie Ruth's donut is and just going on and on about how it's amazing. And then someone says, have you tasted one? Well, no. Well, first off, as I said, you haven't lived unless you've seen Bob Ross paint a painting. I will also say you have not lived unless you've had an Auntie Ruth's donut. But that is a side note. 
But you can't give something away. You can't give a truth away if you've not tasted it yourself. You can't do it. It's a critically um, important qualifier, this if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Have you? I sat right there my whole life hearing these, these things. And it wasn't until a broken moment at four o'clock in the morning on a random night when I was in college that I said, oh, no, I am unholy and unforgiven and my God is holy. And I've never tasted the truth of the gospel, even though I probably could have communicated these facts to you. I hadn't tasted it. God forbid that we hear these things and we understand them, but we don't have the power to change because we haven't tasted the goodness of God. I mean, hear me on this church. It's so important. I mean, look at what's happening in our world right now. I was saying in my CBR the other day, I'm like, wow, look at Genesis. Look at how God in his sovereignty was bringing all of these things together so that the people would eventually go into bondage, so that he could eventually set them free, so that he could then show this is what Jesus does to your sins. All of this points to Christ. And then you look at Acts. Wow, Paul's going to go to Rome because over here, Paul and God told him you're going to go to Rome. And then what's going to happen? The church is going to continue to spread. And you just see God's sovereignty working itself out. And you're seeing it in our world right now. This is not an apocalyptic message, but there is going to be an end. And the stage is being set quickly for that. You don't want it to end and realize, I never tasted. I never tasted the truth of the gospel. So this third question, man, just answer it honestly. Have I truly tasted the goodness of God through belief in the gospel? If you answered yes, church, those of us that know these truths, what should our response be? It should be worship. It should be worship. No one should have to twist our arm to get us to worship. We're broken. We're helpless. We're naked. We're lost. And he saves us. He forgives us. We should worship. We should be the most thankful people on the planet. And if not, we're forgetting the truths of the gospel. And second... And this is where Peter is going in verses 1 through 3. Second, it absolutely must change our conduct. That's what he's saying. And if our conduct is not changing, something's amiss. Something's off. Because he's holy. And he resides within us. We must be holy as well, and only the gospel enables us to live holy lives.
And if you can honestly say, I've never truly tasted this gospel goodness, it's not too late. Today, if you hear his voice, repent. The answer is always going to be to repent and believe the gospel. Believe what Jesus has done. Confess Jesus as Lord. Believe that he was alive and that he was raised from the dead. He was dead and he came to life. And what happened in that grand transaction when he died purposely for us and he rose from the dead, he said, that paid the penalty because I'm perfect and holy. I am God. That paid the penalty for all your sins. All you have to do is believe and turn to me. It's not too late to do that. We can do that today. We got seven baptisms coming up. We can have 14. How amazing would that be for someone that's in this congregation right now that's like, I haven't tasted and I know that I haven't. Maybe for the first time in your life to say, that's me. I have never really believed. We're not going to judge you. <laughs> We're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice. Repent and believe. Mm. I, got to, I got to close. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, he says. Like newborn babes, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up in your salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good and people, the Lord is good. Do I find myself consistently putting away unholy conduct toward others? If not, what am I not believing about the gospel? Do I truly hunger for the word of God? Have I truly tasted the goodness of God through belief in the gospel message? Let's take those questions to the Lord and let's just be still for a few moments and let King Jesus have his way in our hearts. All of us, we all need this message. Let's bow our heads.